0: Good morning. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 31 to 47 this morning. And uh, just to be reminded, verses 12 to verses 59 is really one conversation, one dialogue, although, as we'll see in just a few minutes, there's different audiences. As there always is, anytime time the gospel is proclaimed, and we'll talk about that. So let's stand with our feet. I'm only going to read verses 31 to 38 just to get us started, and then we'll pray for our time together. John chapter 8, beginning in verses 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is God's word. Lord, we understand and realize and accept that in every good word, every gospel word, there is both sobering news and good news, both something to heed, something to celebrate. And truly, your word this morning has all of this. And so, Lord, whether those that are here with us Physically or watching online, Lord, I pray, we plead that your son would set people free this morning. By the power of his shed blood, through the work of the Spirit, as we proclaim your truth. Lord, this is how you said you would save When your word is proclaimed. And so Lord do the work that only you can do. Cause people to be born again to a living hope. This is our prayer and our plea. Encourage the saints. Gather them together Lord. And your family in Jesus name. Amen. Be seated. A little bit of a philosophical question on your notes if you have them. But an important one. Would you want a freedom... If that freedom costs you everything. Everything. And everything here I'm meaning everything. Think about that before you answer. <laughs> Would you want a freedom that costs someone else their life? If you've ever been a parent with a young child and come on... And come to me as your pastor and said, my child has made a profession of faith and they're ready to move forward with baptism. You know if you've ever come to me that we're going to have a conversation. I am cautious at that moment. You need to understand that. I hope you see this in the text this morning. And here's, I will say something like this to your children. And I may just scare you and them to death. So let me prepare you. (laughs) I will look at your child who has made a profession of faith and, and try to get mom and dad to simply be quiet. Let me have a conversation. I'll ask that child, if we take you to Moss Lake to baptize you, and i walk you in the water, and when you turn around, there's a gunman pointing a gun at your mother's head. And they said, if you go down and identify with Christ, we will shoot your mother. I ask you, do you still want to be identified with Christ? You see, this is a freedom that costs you everything. Do you hear the song? Everything that I once held dear, I now count as loss. Then what does it say? (laughs) Lead me to the cross. Jesus' sacrifice, that's what we've been talking about, His life. Jesus' sacrifice had to be a living sacrifice, not a dead one. So at Christmas time, as we think about His birth, we are expanding our minds as we think about His incarnation. A life that was lived, a life that sacrificed. He had to give His life so that we could be free. Then what must our lives look like? Romans 12 said, it looks like our life lived as a living sacrifice. So this is what I want you to see. Two simple things, life-changing things this morning. Jesus' incarnation, main ideas at the top of your notes, brings us freedom from sin. Fatherhood of God through abiding in the truth. Two F's. Freedom, fatherhood. Freedom and fatherhood through abiding. This is a freedom from the tyranny of sin in our life that without Christ. We are enslaved to. It is a promise of a father who will never abandon you. And the means of this freedom and fatherhood is abiding in truth. Abiding in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so look with me at verse 30. Said this last week, set this up. One continuing dialogue here. Verse 30. Jesus, remember, Jesus has proclaimed to be the light of life, You remember? The feast of booths is going on, lights everywhere. Jesus stands up, I am the light that brings life. This is his declaration. And as a result, look at verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So look at verse 31. This is the context of the passage. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, that's the context to say, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. So apparently Jesus wasn't a Baptist, right? Because you know what Baptists would have done right here, right? Sign them up for our new members class, give them, order some envelopes, Ricky. We've got to get them envelopes in because we've got to get them giving, right? They said they believed, you know, let's get them in here. Let's, you know, let's put them in kids ministry, right? What does Jesus do? Here, It's important, isn't it? He has a conversation. He gives them an if-then statement. So here's the question. Here's the question he's getting to. They say, w- w- we believe you. We believe you're the light of the world. We do. He says, "Well, let me just talk about who are really my disciples. Who are my authentic disciples? Disciples. You see, this is the parable of the sower in a conversation. In every conversation you and I have, today, online, every time, it is the soils, the parable of the sower. That people, we are throwing seeds and we determine not the soil. But there is only one good soil, the good soil. And we know the good soil because of what the soil produces. That the plant grows. A hard path the thorny path, the rocky path, the shallow soil are all people that are not saved despite what they profess. They say they believe. He said, well, let's talk about who are my authentic disciples. Who belongs to the Father? This is the question this morning. It's not who says they belong to the Father, but who actually belongs to the Father. So what he gives them today is a spiritual paternity test. What this is, paternity simply means, according to Dictionary.com, you know it must be true, the state of being a father, fatherhood. So he's going to say those we believe he's going to say, well, let's see who your father is, because ultimately that's what matters. So Jesus now brings clarity. First point: Jesus' incarnation brings clarity to his authentic. Followers, verse 31. If you abide in my words, you could say it this way. If you abide in my words, then you are truly my disciples. It is conditional. Authentic followers trust in Christ alone. We're repeating what we said last week. There are those who are trusted in Christ, but not alone. What does he mean by this? To trust in Christ's words This is the first, the present context of the passage. He is saying, you must abide in my words. What I have already said about myself. Who I am, sent from the Father. The work that I am doing, that I must do. You have to believe that, what? I am He. Verse 24, do you see it? I looked at it last week. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He... You will die in your sins. That's the issue. It's who Jesus is. That's the authentic followers and no one else. So we have to ask ourselves the question, not did we pray a prayer, not did we take a class, is Jesus essential in your everyday right now? Because the issue is abiding. The issue is not a one moment in time. It's not. The issue in scripture is abiding. And abiding means perseverance. That's what it means. That's what Jesus is saying. You must hold on to me. You must remain in me. This is about perseverance, brothers and sisters. Anybody can follow Jesus for a day. And everybody often does. This is about perseverance. Continuing, abiding, remaining, persevering in what? Christ first says in the Word, in me. We would say it this way, in Scripture... But let us not, we will come back to this, but don't forget all of Scripture points to Christ, who He is and what He's accomplished. So, authentic followers abide in a Scripture alone that reveals Christ alone. One man says it this way, wisdom comes from prolonged exposure to the Bible. Prolonged. Every day is part of our life. Do you remember what God told Joshua? Joshua 1.8 Joshua 1.8 God tells Joshua Here's the question. Joshua, what is the key to a successful, prosperous life and ministry? Here it is. The book of the law God says to Joshua Shall not depart your mouth But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then, condition, see? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The psalmist agrees. Psalm 1-2. We know this. Notice the word. Delight and meditate. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates The the word delight and the word meditate are essentially connected in the Christian life. To abide means you hold on to the teachings, to the person, to the work of Christ. And you never let go. No, not because of COVID. No, not because you get a job that adds another zero to your W-2s. We never let go of Him and His person and His work. His incarnation is essential in our life. This is what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ. An authentic follower of Christ does not take the short-term view of life, but the long-term. It is the precise reason that I wanted us to study Crazy Busy, As a small group. Have you taken time to be part of a small group? Because you see, if you don't become vested in people's life, and they don't become vested in yours, when it hits the fan, brothers and sisters, you will not be vested in their life, and they will not receive your comfort. We need it, you see, because to be authentic follower of Christ, we take the long-term view of life and faith. I need you. You need me. And we must work on our relationship with Christ and each other. Because we desperately need each other. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't see in our life, in your life, in my life, in this church, instant results to nearly anything. And I don't know about you, it drives me nuts. Right? So let me tell you how my morning goes, you know. I, I stumble into the coffee pot and hit that little red button. I hurry up, you know. And then I go do what I need to do right quick. And then I come into my office and i pull up my computer do you know how i look at the news instant that's how i look at it i usually pull up two or three news sites look at the headlines zip 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 on with life you know following christ not that way it's not instant you can't expect your life or anybody else's life to pop like a bag of popcorn it's not the way it works authentic disciples take a long-term view to see you formed in Christ for you to see me formed in Christ takes a long time it's not instant authentic followers of Christ take the long-term view to not only hold on to Christ you see to hold on to Christ is to hold on to his people what does a counterfeit follower look like look at verse 37 i want you to connect those these two together verse 37 what does it look like? You see, counterfeit followers have no place for scripture in them. There's, there's no place. Listen to how he puts it. Talking to those who said they believed, and also some Jewish leadership's probably mixed into this as well. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, verse 37, yet you seek to kill me, because my words find no place in you. It's the picture, and we're going to come back to this, is a pot that's full of water, full of something, of contents. There's just no room for anything else. He said, My words, find no, you're so religious and you're so Jewish, you don't have room for me. The, the imagery here, the language, is the same picture with Mary and Joseph trying to find room in the end. And there was just no place, right? No room in the hallway. No room in, if there were inside bathrooms. No room in the bathroom. No room anywhere. I have, we got people everywhere. We just don't have any room for you. That's what he's saying. Counterfeit followers may come to church on Sunday. But this has no place. No room. They are too busy. There's no room in it for their everyday life. You see, that's objective, isn't it? And this is the question he asks. It doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to, books you read, classes you take. Do you enjoy God's Word? If He does, you have space. It has priority. Not only in our morning routines, but in our everyday, every moment thinking when I engage my coworker or my customer, Jesus' life governs what I say. Jesus' life governs what I promise. Jesus' life governs how hard I work. Is there room in your life to enjoy the Lord. When's the last time you enjoyed him? As the deer? Pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, oh God. Some of us just need to take a day off of work or get somebody to watch the kids and climb a mountain and ask the Lord, Lord, it's been a long time since I enjoyed you that much. Jesus lived and died so that you could enjoy him that much. So Jesus' incarnation comes with amazing privileges. It does. But only to those who enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' incarnation brings clarity, but it also brings freedom. It brings freedom over. So I want to be careful here. Look at your notes there. Jesus' incarnation brings freedom over the enslavement of sin. Not from the enslavement. That's coming. That's our promise. When, When Jesus comes back, we will be glorified and we will be free from the presence of sin. But now, he guarantees us freedom over the enslavement of it. Authentic followers experience knowing Christ. This is essential. This is not disconnected. In other words, what he's getting at with this word knowing, verse 32, and you will know the truth. This is experiential knowledge. This is relational knowledge. This is intimate knowledge. This is not mere intellectual knowledge. If it was just intellectual knowledge we needed, then all of Kings Mountain would probably be saved. It's not sufficient. It's not sufficient. Relational knowledge, intimate knowledge, experiential knowledge... See, there is a truth, brothers and sisters, that enlightens the mind, it leaves you enslaved. It doesn't set you free because it's not knowledge of, it's just knowledge about. It is possible to go to a church, to check our kids in kids' ministry and go hear a good sermon and then say, "I'm out. It's all I needed." Babysit my kids for a little bit. Give me a good message and I go about my life. There's a truth that enlightens the mind. And leaves the heart untouched. This is what he's asking them. You see, James says it very clear like he does everything. The book of James chapter 2 verse 19. You remember it? You believe God is one. We would all say, Yes, you do well. Even the devils believe and shudder. So there is a form of belief that puts us on the same level as the devil with intellectual knowledge about someone we never relationally know. Intellectual knowledge without intimate knowledge deceives, it doesn't free. You see, this is what they're saying. Look at verse 33. They answered him, We are offsprings of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? We are free. That's what they're saying. We are free. We know who our father is. We is Abraham. God is our father because we are Abraham's offspring. We're not enslaved. I don't know what you're talking about. Look at verse 34. It's how he answered. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He said, you're missing the whole point. It's not who your daddy is. It's not the fact that you're Jewish. It's the fact that you're enslaved. The word practice just simply means to do. It's present, active. You are presently, actively in a lifestyle of sin. That means you are enslaved by it. And enslaved people are not saved people. That's what he's saying. You see, authentic followers experience freedom. It's experience. It's part of our life. But I want you to understand it. Listen, nobody told me this for the first years of my Christian walk. And I often felt like a royal failure, not willing to step into what God called me to do because nobody told me the truth. This is a specific freedom. And freedom, brothers and sisters, means war. That's what it means. Inwardly, it means war. Outwardly, it often means victory. Inwardly, it's war. You see, this is not about doing acts simply an act of something that is wrong. This is about what you desire and delight on. You see, the issue changes everything. I'm not saying that you don't sometimes stumbles, you sometimes don't hit your finger and can't believe what just, <laughs> what just come out. I am saying, do you delight in that? Do you desire it? Do you sit around at your job figuring out how you can how you can do other people wrong so that you can step on them and advance your career? Is that your heart? That's the issue. You see, when Christ saves us, He changes our, what we desire. What this creates in us is a war that has never existed before. And if nobody tells you about it, you may think you're doing something wrong. It is fighting indwelled sin for the first time in our life because we hate it. It is experiencing victory through abiding. It's what Paul tells us in Romans. See, there's connection here. Romans 6.12 Let not sin therefore reign in your bodies to make you obey its passion. You see, you see it as passions. There's, there's something in us when we are not born again, though we may be religious, that still loves the sin. And when nobody's around, we roll around in it. When your wife goes to bed... Brother, you are rolling around in that pornography. And that is because you are enslaved by it. That, brothers, is enslavement. And Christ died to set you free. To set us free. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments for Righteousness. He's saying, brothers and sisters, Christ has changed your nature. So don't roll around in that stuff anymore. Don't use your instruments. Don't use your hands. Don't use any part of your body as that for unrighteousness. But use it for the glory of God. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1-3 to tells us our issue here, you see. Reminds us what Jesus is reminding them all. They're talking to everybody. uh, You're all practicing sin. That means you're enslaved by it. That's a problem. That's why I came. This is all of our situations before Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 1. In which... You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit now in the the work and the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And to all those who are born again, He gives the freedom over the enslavement. He creates a war inside of you that never existed before. He begins for you to see victory, not only victory in your life, but as we labor together for the growth of all believers, we begin to see victories in each other's life. And listen, you will never see a victory in anybody else's life if you do not abide. You must be born again. This is what He says. Look at verse back now to John 8. Look at verse 36. I love this verse. I love this verse. If the Son sets you free, you will be free. I don't know about you, but that's a promise worth writing somewhere. I am who my Lord declares that I am. No matter what anybody else says, it's good news this morning. D.A. Carson, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And it's genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. Do you see that? It's good. It's the tyranny of sin in our life. Galatians 5 1 For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Paul's way of saying what John and Jesus were saying abide in me why because you are free so abide in me listen to what he's look at what galatians 5:1 says don't you ever submit to the yoke that slavery again Christ has freed you and listen brothers and sisters you're some of us listening online or maybe even here that is beginning to submit to a yoke of slavery because of your anxiety or your depression or pain in your path that you refuse to deal with. Listen. It's Christ who sets you free. Everything else just masks the pain. Romans 8, verse 14. Sets us up for the fatherhood of God. For all who are led by the Spirit, verse 14, are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided condition We suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So your note says that Jesus' incarnation brings the fatherhood of God. Let me say that a different way. And I'm going to get very real, my own personal experience here at the end. Jesus' incarnation brings us freedom through fatherhood. We abide in Christ. And he reconciles us to a father. The greater we understand that, the more freedom we actually experience in our actual life. It's freedom. Jesus' life brings us to the father. Look at verse 38. There's only two fathers. Only two spiritual fathers. Remember the, remember the paternity test, Right? <laughs> We've taken our spiritual blood work. The people that have said, we believe he's taken their spiritual blood work and the results are back. Right? You ever been to the doctor and you come back and they always make you wake over the weekend usually before you get this? the, The test results are back. Verse 38. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. You see that? He's saying, I am just doing. Remember, he is consumed by the will of the Father. I am just simply doing and saying and obeying and accomplishing what my Father told me to do. He said, so are you. It's simple. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me how you live. What do you say? Let's, let's look at the life. The paternity tests are back and your actions are the test. The question, remember, are you an authentic follower of Christ? So here's what we're asking. Where or who have you pinned your hope? That's what he gets to. He says, the reason your actions are wrong is because you have pinned your hope on the wrong father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Look at verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. The last line most people think is saying, we're not born of sexual immorality like you. We have one father, God. We know God's our father because... We're descendants of Abraham. So brothers and sisters. Been doing this a while. And we all have pains. And the father wound pain in our life. Is exceptionally deep and prevalent in our culture. We could be wasting our life. Living, reacting to an earthly father. But neglecting our heavenly one. And listen, this is true. I don't care how good your daddy is. And I got a pretty good one. The best dad makes a pitiful savior. I am not my children's savior. I exist to point them to the savior. Fathers, that's why you're here. We point. We are not a savior. The Jews have pinned their hope on the wrong dudes. you see. Counting on Abraham or Moses. To, to count on the fact that they're reconciled to God, he says, it's not enough. You only get my Father if you get me. I am the only way to the Father. Their reaction, you see, to the words of Jesus, determine the eternity test in their life and ours. It is not what you write on a piece of paper. It is not a prayer you pay. It is what you do with the words of Christ. What you do with his person and his work. He says, Abraham is not your father. The devil is. And you know it by your life. If you look at verse 39 and 41, he simply points out, the devil kills and the devil lies. And look at you. (laughs) You want to kill me. I speak the words of truth and you reject it. Matter of fact, next week they call him a devil. So you see, spiritual paternity is revealed. Think about Christ. It's revealed by the Son's likeness to the Father and His obedience to the Father. We know Jesus is who He said He is because He displays perfectly the God who he is. And He obeyed Him without question to the very end. So how do I know who my Father is? Don't understand already. Look at verse 42. Jesus said, If God were your father, you would love me. See, that we're right back to that love thing again, aren't we? You see, you can know about somebody and not love them. And listen. John wrote another book called 1 John. That's because people thought they were believers that weren't. Because, and one thing he pointed out was, I know that you don't love me because you don't love my people. And you can't say you know me and hate them. Are you an authentic follower of Christ? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? None of us love him perfectly. Don't we long for that day? But do you love him? Do you enjoy Him? How do I know I enjoy Him? Because I enjoy this. Because this all points to Him. So what? So what today? Is my life filled to the brim with the enjoyment of the person of Christ revealed in the Word of God? Is my life filled to the brim? And so just so you know, the image that I have there is John 2. you remember? Them them empty ceremonial washing pots that were in there. That was the Jewish ritual. Cleansing by water over and over and over. He tells them to take those pots and fill them to the brim. Take them to the people that was at the big table and serve it out. It was the new wine. You remember the point. The old failed to cleanse people from their sin. The new will not fail. Who is the new one? Christ is. He is the one. That's going to make all things new. And he starts brothers and sisters. With us. And so. I just want to. I just want to be honest with you. Me and Christina have buried. Several friends. Friends who thought they always had to have their act together. And so we put this persona that we all have it together when none of us really have it together. It's too late once you're gone. It's too late once your families are gone to keep covering things up and to not say, you know, I'm just not okay. You know, we just want you to know it's okay not to be Okay. And some days we're not okay either. So can I tell you a little testimony? Most of my life, brothers and sisters, most of it was characterized by the spirit of fear. I was afraid to fit in. I was afraid to be alone. I was afraid to lead. I was afraid to fail. And so what did I do? <laughs> Whether you realize it or not, your pastor has a very bad temper. So I fought. I fought. I raged, I worked, I worked to avoid, I worked to become, I worked to to be acknowledged, I neglected my family, and I avoided conflict at all cost. One day, God was doing all kinds of things, the Turning point was the book, and I've quoted it many times because it's been so impactful in my life. I was reading J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, got to the chapter on the sons of God, and he asked this very simple question that somebody had been in church all their life knew the answer to. What is a Christian? Here's what he said. A Christian is one who has God as Father. You can never Mind the depths of Scripture and get beyond that amazing truth. A Christian is someone who has God as Father. You begin to, I begin to ask myself the question, why is all of my life characterized by the spirit of fear when God said He died to put that away? John 1, 12, But to all who did receive Him who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God who were born, not because I chose to be born, not because my daddy is born, but because it was the will of God that I be born again. It goes on to say, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And for a, I don't know how long, I fell into that. The fact that I belong to God and He is my Father. And this is the truth. This shy, backwards guy who had been scared of everything except hard work started teaching. And I couldn't speak at all. If you ever heard some of the first lessons you would amen that still you see the spirit of fear just doesn't go away like that it takes abiding brothers and sisters It took abiding It took a war what does war look like obedience it means what god called me to do i just started walking towards it and listen it was because of the fatherhood of god that we decided to expand our family it was because of the fatherhood of God that I began to teach, that I became an elder, and that I said, let's plant a church in Kings Mountain. Every single one of those things scared me to death. We are here. Not because we have it together, but because God has saved me. And He's saved you, and He's called us together. His people, none of which have it all together. So that together we may do what God has called us to do. It's not because we are great, it's because our Father is. And listen, that's the message that people need to hear, whether they live in the woods or they live next door. You see, I want you to see this in my life. It's the truth in the Bible. It's what Jesus is constantly going back to the Father, the Father, the Father fatherhood leads to the freedom understanding who your father is leads to freedom to obey him you can obey him you can do what he calls you to do and you can go home tonight and rest in the fact that your father loves you no more and no less than he did before you started today you need to receive this I don't know what kind of father you have had or did have doesn't matter because in Christ you have a perfect father Who will never leave you. Who cannot be happier or more proud of you than he is right now. In the midst of our brokenness. In the midst of our jacked upness. Jesus is enough. Covers me. As he makes me more like him. And until you understand the fatherhood of God. That it is the father that whispers in your ear. I'm proud of you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I love you, period. Until you hear that, you will always play it safe. You will always navigate to the comfortable and call it obedience. You know what obedience looks like? You know what calling looks like? Seldom what you want to do. Seldom what you think you can do. I'll close with this. Dwight L. Moody. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. I will try my utmost to be that man. And I, don't, I understand what he's saying, and, and I agree. I want to be that man as well. But can I just respectfully remind us and, and Brother Moody, there is a man. There was a man who lived a life that was fully and wholly consecrated to him. And it wasn't me. It was Jesus Christ. And we find our identity, brothers and sisters, in him. And so as we close, just listen. After Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he gathered the disciples together. And here's what he said. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything about me and the law and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled. Thus he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all in, his, to, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of thy Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power on on high. And so, brothers and sisters, we are those who have received the gospel, who have repented and be forgiven, and have been filled to the brim with the Spirit of God. So let us go. Let us go not out of duty, but out of delight. For we have been filled with the very glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord thank you for your word, for your promises, for this reminder that because you, your son lived, we now can live in freedom. and we live in freedom, Lord, as we understand you, that you are God, sovereign, holy, not like us, and at the same time, we're your family. Who can understand these things, God, but this is who we are. And so now, Lord, we desire to respond and worship as we stand our feet. God, our Father, would you receive our worship as we make much of you? Lord, would you receive your, our worship as we remind ourselves of your Son? That it, is, it was in His life That his body was broken. It was in his life. That his blood was shed. He was alive. When he suffered. He was alive. When he atoned. He was alive when he bore the wrath. That I should bear. Lord. Receive our worship. As we give not only. Through giving, but as we give through going, because we give you our life. Receive our worship now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.